Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Happy Saturday! Yeah, how it's, was your shopping? Uh, you know, I was looking at, I didn't pull the trigger, but I, I was looking at the Anchor uh, whole home generator that they've got. Oh, it's a cool. solar power generator. That's rad, man. It's really cool. It's really whole not cheap, though. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm sure. A whole home generator? Those well, are it's not one that... Yeah, it's not one that like builds into the wall. It's a it's a portable generator still, but it like twenty four hundred watts. Like you can run your house for a while. If That's it, awesome. Yeah, yeah. If there's, if there's a deep freeze, for instance, right, that happens in Texas, right. Yeah, then I'd be good. I'd be I've like, been thinking about I've that. I've got all this power. <laughs> you're, you all your neighbors yeah. will be at your house. How does that work with you with uh, with your solar setup? Do, do you are, will you survive the deep freeze if the rest of us go down? Well, it depends. If there's sunlight, I would have. I'd have energy. It, well, so the funny thing is, is that I've been tracking it now and the solar generated, the solar energy generated fluctuates just like, you know, if there's cloud coverage right. or whatever else and depending on how many hours of sunlight, but since I don't have any batteries, um, I would be dependent on the, the electric still. company yeah. at night. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we were just talking, if, if you're in the market for a Bible, there's some oh, good deals man. on Bibles sometimes. I've bought like three Bibles in the last three months yeah. trying to find the perfect one for this podcast. I use the ESV journaling Bible for this podcast. Oh, so cute. Yeah. Um, I don't know it's if adorable. I would call it that. It's adorable. Uh, it's, a, it's a small, very cute, very, no, very fashion forward Bible. It's helpful because it has like two inch margins on either side that are lined. So I'm able to write my notes in it. That's why I use it. Thanks, Pastor Rob, <laughs> for that. He uses um, the largest Bible I've ever seen on the face of the planet. And for I, this. I, the more I use it, the more I actually like it. The interleaved Bible. Interleaved. So it's the same idea. Pastor Rod has pages added to his Bible. So let's just, I'm going to just <laughs> leave that there. I'm going to take it out of context. Pastor Rod added pages to his Bible. And you know what? I'm, I would be in good company because you know who else did this? Satan. Jonathan Edwards. Oh, Jonathan Edwards. And I guess Satan, perhaps. <laughs> but if you look up Jonathan Edwards, uh, I think he called it the blank Bible. I forget yeah. how, he, how he titled it. but That doesn't sound good. Well, it's it's really, I mean, I looked at it and I'm like, you know what? I might actually end up doing that, that specific thing. Because what he did is he would cut pages out of his Bible and he would paste it uh, between two or maybe even three pages and he would just write notes all over it. And and, and something that you would not like that he did they were written without a ruler or any kind of straight line. So they're kind of crooked, you know, they're lines here, lines there. Yeah. Like yeah. Spurgeon's. Yeah. Like Spurgeon's. Yeah. No, yeah, no, that would drive me nuts. I don't like that. I like the neat lines. And uh, yeah, when you were talking about cutting Ben Franklin, right? He cut what he didn't like out of the Bible. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that that's different. Yeah. Jonathan Edwards wasn't doing that. He wasn't doing that. <laughs> Just to be clear. Yeah. He's good here. Yeah. No, for sure. Well, is. my journaling Bible is, it's an ESV interleave journaling but i think i got it for 60 bucks okay. although if you're going to do it if you're going to do it i would recommend going all in and getting the leather the leather bound version because then it'll last you for the rest of your life i got one that was 50 bucks and, and i hope it lasts me for the next five or seven years but if i could go back and do it over again i'd get the leather okay you want to know where to go here's where you should go and this is going to cause you if you've never coveted a bible you will go to evangelicalbible.com Evangelical have you been there uh, yeah, these, are these the Skylers? These are Skylers. Yeah. They're Cambridge. They're ESV Allens. Yeah, Crossway Premium Bibles that are out there. Look, this is where 
seminary people go to nerd out. If you're wondering, like maybe you're a car guy that's out there and you're like, you've got all your car websites. This is where seminary nerds go. Evangelicalbible.com. Oh. These Bibles are unbelievable. Oh, the Allen. Yeah, the cry. They're oh, so good. Crossway too out here. Check that out. Yeah. They've got, yeah. Yeah, they're super nice. Super nice. Look really at the expensive. Lines on that right there. I mean, we're talking a couple hundred bucks. At, oh, at, they got my the, interlude. The low end. They got my interlude uh, Bible, Bible there. there. With the Crossway ones? Yeah. Oh, okay. The inter, e, Crossway ESV Journaling Bible Interleaved Edition. Yeah, that's the one. 100 bucks. Not sure that's the best price, but yeah, that works. Yeah. You know what, dude? I Just to just, just put it out there. Hey, if you're looking to bless your spouse, a, a really sturdy, durable, and beautiful Bible can go a long way. It can. And it's a, an investment in future generations, too. I often think of that with some of my Bibles is... Man, when I'm dead and gone, if the Lord has not returned, then future generations are going to find these. And if, when I take notes in my Bible or when I underline things, yeah, you know, it's a, it's an investment that will outlast you, and uh, that's a good thing. I mean, think about how, how much money you just spent on whatever cell phone you're carrying around in your pocket is. How long is that going to last you? A oh, yeah. few years before you need At to upgrade. Best, yeah. If you invest in a solid Bible, a good Bible, man, that's going to last you. Like I said, that's going to outlast you. Um, and so. Uh, yeah, there's a leather company out there. Their tagline is, your kids will fight over it when you die. Oh, Saddleback Leather, man. Yeah, Saddleback Leather. I want one of them bags, dude. I'm yeah. saving up. Yeah, we'll I'm make pull out of my retirement. Make that your Bible, not your briefcase. <laughs> or both. Or Maybe both. put your really nice leather Bible in your briefcase. In your really nice leather briefcase. <laughs> hey, let's go to uh, the book of Ezekiel, yeah, chapter 34. I could spend all day on this. Dude, speaking of chapter 34, this one, I, I, every time I read it, I quake a little bit. Yeah. I just I have to do a gut check. Like, how am I doing? How am I doing, Lord? Right. Right. Yeah. Because this is against the shepherds of Israel. And you might wonder, who are the shepherds of Israel? The shepherds of Israel were the priests, the spiritual leaders of Israel. And here, as he's already done, but here in, in more direct confrontation, he's going to call them out for not doing their job. They have abused the sheep, not loved the sheep. They've fattened themselves, not fed the sheep. And God is, is calling them on it, and it's it's uh, it's quite the indictment. And uh, at one point, he says, you've left Israel as though they are sheep without a shepherd, which should call to mind Mark chapter 6, verse 34, when Jesus looks out upon the people in a similar situation where the Pharisees there have committed some of the same errors that the, the priests back in, in Ezekiel's day were committing. Jesus looks at them and goes, hey, they're, they're, they're like sheep without a shepherd, and Jesus has compassion on them. Uh, but man, when God says, yeah, verse, verse nine or verse 10, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand. Oof. Yeah. We talked about that a little bit with Hebrews 13, that we're going to have to give an account for the souls that are under our care. Yep. And here it is from a negative perspective. If we don't do our job, God is going to call us to account from the, for in a judgmental sense for failing to, to care for the flock. So, uh, yeah, quite, uh, quite chilling and yet quite encouraging when we see that then God God says, well, then I myself am going to take on the role of the shepherd. Yep. And there's all kinds of messianic imagery that's at work there. Uh, obviously, in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. There's uh, there's background oh. here. Coming back to here, you've got Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Um, the, the, this is uh, dripping with messianic implications and, and that of, of Christ specifically as the one that would ultimately fulfill this as the shepherd of the people of Israel. Can you talk really quickly here just to put a quick bow on this here? Um, you see in chapter 34, the indictment against the shepherds. Uh, what what should a shepherd be doing in 2023 and four? Yeah. Like, what does that look like today? If, if I'm looking for a new church and I'm looking for a good shepherd, yeah. what should he be doing? Yeah, I like the way that uh, I think it's Strauch breaks it down as lead, feed, and protect. Um, those are three 
key responsibilities of a shepherd or pastor. So is that a pastor, leading with love or is that a... Uh, that is leading with love. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Leading with love. Um, so a pastor needs to lead. He, he needs to have that role that he needs to lead his church. He needs to cast vision. He needs to be leading in the right direction for the church. Um, I, I often think, for better or worse, I think this is something that John MacArthur has done really well over the course of his his ministry. I think he has been very clear about what Scripture says. I think he has made it clear to his church about what should be happening, even as recently as the pandemic and everything else. He's a leader of his people, and that's a good thing. You need to have that in a pastor. Second, he needs to be feeding them, and the the food that the pastor provides is the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And if the pastor is providing the food of his own wisdom or his funny stories or his sense of humor, whatever it is, he's not doing his job. He needs to feed with the Word of God. The Word of God is what is needed. And so his job is to feed, and that's primary, primarily through preaching, but not only. We're feeding right now through this podcast. As, as you and I engage in this podcast, this is part of our, our feeding process of the sheep. Dumb. Real quick, um, does it mean he can't tell funny stories or he can't? Right. Express wisdom, just right. to be clear. Right. Can you can you just expand expand upon that? Yeah, yeah. Meaning, the the word of God is center stage, and that's what one of our distinctives is. The Bible is central. It's the 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 main takeaway that I want for you guys to take away every single Sunday is what the Scripture says, not what my funny story is or anything else like that. Illustrations, funny stories, those can be helpful to help us understand the text or to drive a point home. That's great. There's room for that, a hundred percent. We don't need to be, you know, the frozen chosen buckled up and, and with our buttons all the way up and, and everything else. We can bring our, our personality to the scriptures. I think we even see that in the writers of them, themselves. Paul uses sarcasm sometimes and he brings some humor into to things where it's appropriate. So I think we can do that as well. But the primary meal is the word. We're, we're explaining the scriptures. We're not expositing the culture. All right. Lead, feed, and, and then finally protect. protect. Protecting is that uh, that warning that we talked about in the last last chapter of the watchman's job is is to warn. The watchman's job is to make sure that there aren't any threats against the people of God. So that's looking and evaluating what's going on in the culture. That's naming threats to uh, believers. That's that's calling out false teaching and false teachers. That's protecting the flock specifically from anybody within the church posing a danger and threat to the to the flock. That involves church discipline, other things like that. That's the pastor's job as well. All right, helpful. Yeah. The chapter uh, there in 34 ends with another reference to the new covenant, the covenant of peace, it's called here, which is uh, another uh, call to the the future um, when God is going to establish that in full reality with his people. They're going to know there that he is the Lord. Uh, He's going to be with them. They're going to be his people, declares the Lord, which is even anticipating furthermore um, Revelation 21, where that will be ultimately fulfilled, where God will be with his people and they will be with him as as their their God. Yeah. Yeah. 34, 35, 35 prophecy against Mount Seir. So 35 and 36, it's unfortunate. Again, the chapter divisions because 35 and 36, at least through verse 15 should really be taken as one unit. Um, You've got a prophecy against two mountains. You've got Mount Seir and the mountains of Israel. Uh, These are meant to be contrast. These are are meant to be the twin brothers, Esau and Mount Seir, descendants of Edom. That was their area, their territory, the Edomites there. The prophecy there is destruction, and that's what chapter 35 is all about. It's the judgment against Edom, the judgment against the the descendants of Esau, whereas the the descendants of Jacob, as you get to chapter 36, what do they anticipate? They're anticipating restoration. And 36 and 37, not to, to get too far out in front of us, is going to be about this restoration and this future hope. And then we're going to get into 38 and 39 with Gog and Magog, where we're dealing with some pretty heavy issues of opposition to God's people. And then chapter 40 and following gets even more convoluted in, in a sense. But this is really now where we begin to 
get apocalyptic. You may have heard of, of Ezekiel described as apocalyptic literature in some ways. Dealing with the end times, dealing with the future events not yet fulfilled. And we've seen some of that already, but we're about to get into it in, in earnest. But chapter 35 is, is setting the stage, the contrast between Edom and Jacob, Esau and Jacob. 35 is about the Edomites. It's about the descendants of Esau and the judgment therein. And you might want to cross-reference the book of Obadiah. We'll get to Obadiah soon enough, but Obadiah, it's another book, short book, written to uh, the same people, Edom, and God's not happy with them, just in case that wasn't clear. So use that, make a note of that in your Bible, Edom, Obadiah, uh, Mount Seir. Yeah. First Peter. Let's do it. Chapter 2. Chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. Uh, yeah. A Living Stone, a Holy People is your ESV title there and uh, has a lot of Old Testament references here. In fact, it's interesting. Uh, jumped out of 1 Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay, that's written about who here? Jesus. It's written about the church, right? That was a setup. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus juked. Jesus juked. <laughs> it's written about the church, but that's language that was first applied to the nation of Israel. So to Ooh, play devil's we've advocate. replaced Israel right here. Yeah. So why is that not the case, Pierre? Why, why can we read this and go, this is about the church, and it doesn't mean that the church has replaced Israel? Uh, several reasons. One, the whole Bible. <laughs> Good start with that. That's the biggest Jesus juke right there. It's like, done, <laughs> we're done. There's the answer. Conversation over. Uh, well, I, I would say at, at least, I mean, I, I'm, I'm tongue in cheek, but I, I do mean that partially in a helpful way. The thrust of scripture, you ha- you'd have to say, okay, if this does mean that, we'd have to say, okay, we have to reinterpret so many other passages of scripture where God has made promises to them um, of reinstating them and, and, and renewing them as a nation and as a people. So from the, the, the grand narrative, the meta narrative of scripture, I'm going to say, I can't think that way. Um, but, but secondly, and perhaps most significantly, I don't think Peter uh, intends for us to understand that. Even when he uses yesterday, we talked about the elect exiles of the dispersion. I don't think he's only talking to the Jewish exiles. I think he's talking to all Christians who happen to be now part of the elect exiles in the dispersion. They're, they're, they're exiles and strangers. We're all now one people in Christ. Uh, that would be my, my quick and dirty answer. Okay. You add yeah. to that. No, I, I think that's helpful. I, and I don't think this is an exclusion. I think that this is referencing even right now, the church is fulfilling this purpose temporally in God's redemptive plan. I don't think this means that this is the, the final realization of this or that this is replacement theology, that this is now the church and Israel's off the scene. I think right now it's, hey, we are a chosen race in God's current dispensation of how he's interacting with, with us right now in redemptive history. And we have a role to play for him. We are his priests in the sense that we are proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Um, and so he's he's calling us to that and he's he's identifying that as, as our particular role there. Um, and so what does that look like? Well, that looks like uh, a couple of things. Some of the things he's already talked about, if, in fact, back up to, to the beginning of chapter two. It's, it's a difference that comes from our connection to uh, Scripture and our growth in salvation. Uh, we're not to, to be like others. And in fact, he's going to hit that later on in chapter 2. But instead, like newborn infants, we need to long for the pure spiritual milk of the Word, that by it we may grow up into salvation. And then the, the impact that that's going to have is it's going to make us 
this kingdom of priests, this this effective royal priesthood that's going to produce in us a difference. Uh, sojourners, exiles, uh, verse 11, abstaining from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against our soul, keeping our conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. There should be a difference. We should be noticeably different from the world around us as we live out our identity as this chosen race and royal priesthood. I'm super encouraged by verse nine. Um, verse nine talks talks about us being built up as a spiritual house, a temple of sorts, to be a holy priesthood. And get this, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, I don't think he's talking about literal sacrifices, even though he's making allusions to the, the, the temple and the priesthood. And that's not an allusion, actually. He's being quite explicit with the priesthood. But I believe what he's saying is essentially is as you as you give God your works of faith, they are sacrifices, sacrifices that are acceptable to God through faith in Jesus Christ. They're acceptable to him um, through Christ, which means when you do something for for God's sake, when you honor him with your your setup or your teardown or your worship ministry or your, your community group leadership, those acts of service, those uh, sacrificial offerings to God are acceptable to God through Christ. It's like when your kid gives you, a, you know, a, a, I don't know, a blank page and they've colored a house and a car and a dog and, oh, look, there you are. When you receive that, you receive that as an act of love. It doesn't matter that the, the, the lines aren't straight and the people aren't proportional to the, the size of the house or what have you. You receive that for what it is. You love it. You appreciate that. Well, by God's grace, when we give God our imperfect acts of love, our acts of service, they are all acceptable to God through Christ. Man, that excites me. That makes me, that gets my engine revving. Yep. Yeah. He, uh, submission to authority. I think we need to, to touch on that. We've hit on that. You just love this topic. Don't prior we? in the, the podcast and, and, uh, you can go back and try to find that episode, uh, somewhere. <laughs> we, in the, we don't know where it is. Archives in the annals. It's there somewhere. Um, yeah. Same concept here. I, I think bad I, chapter break again. Yeah. Bad chapter break again. Uh, I think here in we're dealing with if we're called to be subject to the authorities so long as they're not calling us to do something that God has has told us not to do or telling us not to do something that God has told us that we should be doing. So that's like our gathering. our paradigm, like gathering, yes, um, therein. And so he, he's continued to talk about what we should do. There's there's um, submission at work here. That's why it's a bad chapter break because this this continues in chapter three as well. <coughs> that's pleasant, huh? We'll stupid, edit that out. Stupid cough. We'll edit and post. Will we? Nope. Probably not. But just keeping it real, folks. Yeah. So um, living out our faith, what it looks like in the midst of a, a, a society opposed to the God that we love and the God that we serve. That's who Peter was writing to there. It's where we find ourselves increasingly so in uh, in this society as well. So it's it's helpful for us to remember. There's signif- I think that's the thing here. There's significance in even the small things for us as believers. Like every every facet of our lives is an opportunity to bear witness to God and to our, our relationship to him. And so how we conduct ourselves as these strangers, as these er- exiles in in this particular age that we live it it speaks about the God that we love and the God that we serve. The way that you conduct yourself at work around those employees that know or employers that know that you're a part of a church speaks about the God that you profess to, to love uh, your attitude, your mindset, your, your work ethic, your submission, all of these things reflect back on God. And so it's important for us to remember, like you were saying earlier, Pastor Rod, that our offerings include the full 
orb of our life. Everything that we do is an offering of worship to God. How we live our lives has a reflection on the God that we serve and serves as a, a witness to those around us. Verse 21, for to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. What is the example? It is the willingness to suffer for righteousness sake, which means that when you do do the righteous things that Pastor PJ is encouraging you to do, um, that may not always result in something that's favorable to you. In fact, uh, it's quite likely that it may result in things that are painful to you, especially today, being a Christian, being a, a man or woman of conviction could cost you social credit or even your job. Who knows? We don't pretend to know that. But we do know that Scripture does say when we do obey and we suffer for righteousness sake, don't don't be discouraged by that. Don't look at that as being something unusual or something that shows God's displeasure to the opposite. He's saying Christ set an example, and that example is one that you're following, and you should take great comfort in that in that followership. Right, and part of that example is verse twenty-three. Continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's right, and that's that's the the comfort that we have there. Verse twenty-four. Do you, do you want to call attention to that before we wrap up here? He himself bore his uh, our sins in his body on the tree that we might live however we want to live. That's right. Is that I, what it says? I, I underlined that. Did you? I highlighted that. Okay, one I'm going to throw your Bible away because you added pages and it's wrong. <laughs> no, it says he himself, he bore our sins in his body on the tree in order that for the purpose with the intended result that we, you and me might die to sin and live to righteousness. I'm glad it says might because then that gives me a way out. Uh, no, 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 no. That's an, that's, that's the wrong understanding there. Oh, okay. Saying that we should, we ought to, that, that this is the, the purpose that this is, is the result that it should have here that we should die to sin and live to righteousness. This is why one of our distinctives is we work to proclaim a biblical gospel. This is why we emphasize things like the lordship of Jesus Christ, because scripture verses like this imply and suggest and don't just imply, but clearly state that, that coming to a saving faith in what Jesus has done for us on the cross transforms your life. He died so that you might die to sin and live to righteousness. He didn't die to leave you in your sinfulness. He didn't die so that you can say, well, it doesn't matter because grace is grace and I'm forgiven no matter what. So who cares how I live my life now as long as I walk the aisle or pray the prayer? No, he died to sanctify you. The, the, the grace that saves you is the grace that sanctifies you. And that That's starts right. from the moment of faith. That's right. And it's important that you have pastors who call you to the to that standard. Um, speaking of what makes a good shepherd, the, a good shepherd in line with the great shepherd and overseer of our souls um, in verse 25, is going to call you to righteous living. I mean, even in, in, in a very contested text where Jesus encounters a, a woman caught in adultery, yep. um, at the end of that, that episode, he says, hey, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. Right. He doesn't call, call her to say, hey, keep going at it, girl. You're good. Wash your face and go, <laughs> go do your thing. No, he says you ought to live righteously. Forgiveness right. of sin does not mean we take sin lightly. In fact, it's to the opposite. We take it that much more seriously and realize it costs us, not us, it costs our Lord that much that we never want to allow our, our present lives, our future lives to contribute any more to that burden that he took on. Yeah, for sure. You, you tongue-in-cheek reference that. It, there's a book out there, Girl, Wash Your Face, and there's a whole movement that's built around this now called, uh, that, that basically they've identified their slogan is, I'm a Christian and I cuss a little or I drink and cuss a little it's or whatever. It's kind of a renewed version of antinomianism. It, it really is, which is antinomianism, anti being against, nomian coming from namas, which means law. So it's against law. Uh, and it's it's one that is going to be quick with the word legalism. They're going to throw legalism back at you real fast. Yeah. Um, and they're going to try to make it seem like it's 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 good, it's cool, it's right, it's trendy, it's Just hip. being authentic. Yeah, to, to be authentic. So if you're somebody who cusses a little bit, that's okay because you know that's who you are. No, that's not who you are. 
God right. saved you in order to transform you. He doesn't right. want you to be like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because when where do we draw the line? Oh, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian and I look at, at things on the internet a little. I'm yeah. a Christian and I murder a little. I'm yeah. a Christian. And, like, stop it. Just stop. Like, come on. Let's let's get in line with what God is calling us to, which is a life of transformed holiness. And it's not in you to be able to do that. You can't do that yourself. But the spirit that lives in you, if you're a follower of Jesus, wants to transform you and will transform you. And that's what we're after here. That's what God's grace is after doing in our lives. Not saying it's okay because I'm a Christian and I cuss a little. That's nonsense. We got to stop that. So not too long ago, there was a book that was put out by Tolly and Javision. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Right. Um, and his approach was, if you're going to be sanctified, you have to really focus on God's grace toward you and let that change you. What's wrong with that? It's the let go and let God mentality. It's this like, well, I'm going to go to bed tonight, you know, as somebody that, that drinks too much and, and cusses some and, and just wake up tomorrow morning and all of a sudden it's going to be different when I don't do anything to, to see that transform. It's the it's the denial of Philippians 2, 12, and 13, where we are called to work as God works with us or in us. So, um, man, you, you want to get rid of a, a habit, a sin in your life? Okay, great. That's awesome. That's a great desire. Let's, let's create a, a battle plan. Let's go after that. And as we do that, that's God's grace at work in our lives. That's God's grace willing and working in our lives to say, man, I have a desire to rid myself of this sin and I'm committed to doing this. So let's let's radically cut off the hand, tear out the eye, throw it away from us, and let's go after the root of this sin. To, to, to say, well, I'm just going to let God's grace transform me is this let go and let God mentality that, that that's not going to do any good. All right. One last word for the uh, tender conscience Christian who... They struggle. They struggle already. They 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 recognize their sin. They feel it. There's a burden. There's guilt there. Um, stuff like this. When they hear this, they get scared. Am I even a Christian then? Because I can't do it. I'm not enough. I'm not sufficient for these things. Uh, give a give a kind word to those people. Yeah, man, you, you're not alone in that. And and uh, th- that that conviction, kind of like what I was preaching on a week ago. Uh, that conviction is a grace of God. When you feel that conviction, I think the question needs to be, what are we going to do with that, right? Am I going to run from that? Or am I going to be soft to that? Am I going to pray? Am I going to seek help from other believers and say, hey, look, I've got this sin in my life. Will you help me? I would love your prayers. I would love accountability. I would. I want to invite you into this battle with me, alongside me here. Your sensitivity to sin in your life is a good thing. And yeah, it, I keep that. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an encouraging thing. Rather than being scared, I would be encouraged by that. It's an evidence that it's not a hundred percent certain that because there are unbelievers out there that feel bad about their sin. But right. if you feel that 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 conviction, that's a good thing. That's and good so sign. be encouraged by that. And and this is not about hey, everybody out there is perfect. None of us are. And so when I say hey, let's stop it, I'm not saying stop sinning and be perfect. I'm saying stop being okay with the sin in your life. Stop looking for ways that, that there's a loophole for you to just be comfortable with the sin in your life. Right. Look, Paul, uh, Paul was poured out. Paul was worn out. Paul was saying, man, this, uh, we groan in these earthly tents. Our, we should be exhausted when we come to our deathbed because that's what Christianity is because we live with the flesh and the vestiges of the flesh still here until Christ calls us home. When we're there, that's when it gets easy. When we're with him in eternity, when we're glorified, that's when we're freed from the presence of sin. But until then, man, you should expect that this is a, a tiresome existence that we have as followers of Jesus. But man, it's worth it because it's a blip on the radar in light of eternity. And eternity is going to be so sweet when we're free from the presence of sin. Amen to that. Good word. All right, guys. We'll catch you again tomorrow for another episode. Peace.
Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.